2: In this podcast, we combine storytelling with science to better understand how we think, feel, and relate to our bodies. I'm Nadia Craddock, and I'm a body image researcher. And I'm
0: Honey Ross, writer and activist. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest.
2: Hi, Honey, how are you doing?
0: I mean, what a week we've had. (laughs) How am I doing? Back in lockdown, I'm already quite bored. Had two naps yesterday. An essential oil diffuser, so I think it's going to be a pretty big month, is all I can
2: say. <laughs> it's going to be um, a good month. We've all been like watching the election for five days. I know. It's, I just keep
0: checking BBC News as if something's going to change and nothing has changed.
2: It's looking it's promising, looking though. Good. It's looking promising, I think.
0: I don't think I'll be able to unclench my jaw until Biden is officially sworn in, and my jaw has been clenched for four years. <laughs> <I know.
2: laughs> I feel like us, you, me and so many others, but you know, we're How are you doing? getting through uh, more or less the same, you know, more or less the same have been all eyes on what's happening, even though not much seems to be, but, but yeah, pretty good. Um, I have my sister and her boyfriend and her puppy here for lockdown. So that's, I'm really happy about that. Feels a bit more homely this time around. Yes. Cozy and mm. having a
0: pet, having a pet during lockdown. Oh my god!
2: Oh, um, game, changer. game changer, game
0: changer. Tiny little affection machine. It's just like, oh, you could ask for more.
2: Exactly, exactly. And Truffa is just a, a ball of affection and just love, love something, looking in my face. What can I say?
0: I know cuddles and kisses is all yeah, I
2: love. Absolutely. So I can't believe it, but this is our last episode of the series. I'm, I'm really, so proud of us. I'm I'm so proud. I have loved every episode so much. I feel like I've learned so much. It's just been a gorgeous thing to have done over the last couple of months.
0: No, it's been such a joy. And as always, just the best time ever is when I'm working with you. You just...
2: Oh, oh honey. Like,
0: what a creative union. I love that. I know.
2: <laughs> uh, the gift that just keeps on giving
0: On today's episode, enough of us uh, being madly in love. On today's episode, (laughs) we talk to, I mean, this is a big one. We talk to the iconic Catherine Ryan, writer, comedian, actress, creator of Netflix, very own The Duchess, just a queen. Catherine is such a special person. We always love to have a little gush during our episodes, but this is a gushy episode. We are really standing very hard and continue to do so.
2: Throughout. Yeah, unbelievable. And I think what really stood out to me and stands out still is just her confidence, her aspirational relationship with her body. It's, it's just, it was so refreshing. I mean, she's just incredible.
0: She's a woman who lifts up other women and I just could mm-hmm. not stand her more. And like, it's so true. She has such a refreshing relationship with her body and it just... It's so lovely that she acknowledges that it's, like, work. Like, Mm -hmm. she's, like, you know, she's put the time in, but she's there. And I think it's something that we should all be working towards, is to be a little bit more like Catherine Ryan. So today we're joined by the incredible Catherine Ryan. I'm such a fan of your work, and I always felt the fact that when I was watching you perform, you were never afraid to embrace your femininity and it's not just that you use it to your strength i think it's you know you have the most incredible wardrobe and the most beautiful makeup and it's like war paint and armor and i think it's so um i don't know i think it's empowering because i think so often women are told to make themselves more masculine so they can be respected in their industry whereas i feel like you've completely gone nope i you know this is how i like to be this is my life and i am going to thrive in my industry regardless of how i look and I just so admire you for that.
3: Thank you. Well, I didn't know that I would thrive when I started doing it. I just really didn't like being told what to do. And it's not even an implied suggestion. It's explicitly said to us in the beginning as a stand-up comedian, um, women will not like you. I think that's a narrative that probably a lot of us hear, and it's an untrue narrative that we're fed throughout our lives. Um You know, it's the same. It goes back to, oh, those bullies, they're just jealous of you. Other girls are jealous of you. The boys being mean to you because he likes you. These things start really young. So for stand-up, they would say, oh, the boys will objectify you. The girls will hate you. So you have to just be invisible. And I hated the idea of being invisible. And I just thought, well, I like comedy and cerebral you know, humor and, and trying to make sense of things that way and performing, but I also like beauty and fashion and then I just wasn't sorry about it.
0: One of the things of in your recent hit show, The Duchess on Netflix, I mean, the wardrobe, it felt like such a kind of hearkening back to like Patricia Field doing the costumes for Sex and the City and seeing these incredible outfits on these really bold, outspoken women. And it just felt like, I was like, oh, it's such a breath of fresh air to see that
3: again. And it's like, it's different. And I love it. Thank you. I made the Duchess for women like you. I think it's, um, not everybody gets it and I knew you would get it. I'm glad that you love it, that I really feel I love honored it. by that.
0: Oh no, I devoured it in one night and I loved it so much.
2: I wonder if we can switch track a little bit and what we like to ask a lot of our guests is how they felt about their body growing up. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you did. Sure, I was definitely bigger than other girls
3: growing up, and I don't feel that way now. I didn't have, uh, luckily, my mother was very progressive, and I never had any issues with, you know, surrounding my body or food. I was raised by feminists, so I was really lucky that way, but. Um, my mother behaved in a very different way. So if I emulated the way my mother was, then I would have body dysmorphia and I would count every calorie and I would really hate myself. And my mother is definitely still sick with that. She had, I think a lot of women in the seventies, eighties, just masked eating disorders. It was kind of part of their life. Um, all my friends' mothers, they remember their mothers not eating lunch with the kids, not eating dinner with the kids. And I was lucky that just by chance, I think I transcended that because I have a lot of sympathy for those women. I think you raise your children with a lot of your own values, whether you even realize it at the time or not. But luckily, we just weren't very attractive, conventionally attractive children. So my mum put a lot of emphasis. She was like, you are smart and brave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, I definitely got a lot of like, you're smart,
0: you're cool, you're so cool, honey. (laughs) So I really, I love that you had, it's interesting to hear you talk about the fact that your mum in a way kind of wanted something different for you than she had for herself, of like, you know, raising you in this feminist household yet holding these beliefs about herself. I was
3: just going to say, yeah, it was it was just by luck that I was able to see the pain that she was in and the victim of her culture and her circumstances that she was. Had I not been sort of a comedian, really observant and introspective, I might have missed that and internalized some of it, but I thought, these women are not eating. It was the classic household of the men were charismatic and the men drank a lot and the men were loud and the men took up space and the women shrank themselves to accommodate these men. And I've always thought about food control and that way, that it's a very explicit shrinking of yourself, infantilizing of yourself. And some women are small, sure, but to explicitly try to take up less space
2: I think is just a reflection of that patriarchal culture right and is there anything that you do to actively resist that
3: I mean I talk about it a lot in my work Mm -hmm. yeah in my life I think I have a really inclusive attitude toward food and drink and things Mm -hmm. that bring me joy and comfort and things that I like I really you know if I haven't had maybe enough water one day or enough vegetables Then I think about, oh, I haven't had enough of that. But then if I have a day where, you know, I'm treating my body in a different way, I always feel like there's a reason for that and I don't feel guilt about it either. I really don't care, but also ladies, I am 37 and I probably cared a lot more when I was younger.
2: Right, right, and I, I mean i guess I guess I think we we tend to see people kind of accepting themselves a bit more as, as they as they get older. I think probably you, your priorities change in a way, but the idea of that pressure for women to be small and shrink themselves and and you know if anyone hasn't seen your your two stand up shows on on Netflix, I highly recommend, but honey and I were speaking about this earlier. Um, and in Glitterum, you talk about the revenge body and mm. and, and that phenomenon. And just, I thought that was really brilliant and wondered if you could say a little bit more about that and your, your observations there.
3: Well, I was just shocked by the total naivety, uh, maybe it was intentional naivety, of mass pop culture to go, yeah... Khloe Kardashian has chosen to surgically change her body and she's ended a marriage. So let's package a television show and roll it out. Call it Revenge Body because you never get big or small or healthy or unhealthy or change your body for yourself. It's never about you. It's a weapon. It's weaponized. It's for someone else from the beginning. It's to be uh, judged and admired and taken in by the gaze of men. So, Chloe's drastic overhaul is revenge. Like, that's the best we can do for revenge is to use our bodies to influence someone else's response or reaction. I just thought that was the most toxic thing. And it was a huge hit and everyone loved it. And they tried to inject, you know, some personal Mm. stories and some love and some heart. But all of that stuff. I mean, I am a student of the world. All of that stuff is why I am the way I am. I've always seen it. It's quite a burden to walk through life <laughs> from a th- three years old mm. being like, excuse me, that is quite toxic, actually. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's amazing that you've, you've always seen that growing up and kind of being almost like an observer to, to all of these messages and how people react.
3: Well, I've made some mistakes along the way. I've articulated myself um wrong along the way certainly to do with feminism and race and all these things that I try to learn about and be a student of as well as a teacher of um but I mean yeah even when I was 10 years old I was not popular because we did speech competitions and mine was about consent I was this little French child who was like (laughs) uh a big wet kiss from the neighbor next door, a kiss red from the I was talking about all these people in my life kissing me, and how you shouldn't force your kids to kiss their babysitter. It was like too much for people. Perfect. I mean,
0: I'm so glad you were born as such an observer because it's given us, you know, the gift of your comedy and performance, and we're very lucky to have that. I remember. In, the com- in your comedy special when you were talking about the revenge body you made a comment about you know when a man tells you to go away a small part of you should and I j- that stayed with me of that kind of I don't know the kind of shrinking yourself to accommodate a man I think it's so poignant and I think the way you speak about dating as well has been so eye-opening and how did you find kind of navigating dating I know obviously now you are a married woman married to an icon obviously um (laughs) two (laughs) icons wed (laughs) but you know I would love if you could tell us a bit about kind of navigating dating as a young mother and figuring that out
3: gosh well it's difficult navigating dating being a stand-up because I am very honest as a fault you know I need to learn to pull it back sometimes and I definitely never want to infringe upon anyone else's privacy and that has been the great artistic challenge of my career is always to tell my central truth and then change the things around me just enough that I could be talking about anyone but I mean in real life gosh I'm glad I went through some of the experiences that I did because I certainly learned a lot but it really would have been great if I could have just listened to the advice of someone and not made all the mistakes that I made. I dated my husband when I was a teenager and I loved him and I knew that I really loved him. I don't know. I just knew. And then we split and then I went on a crazy path of, I, I don't know. So my theory is, and I could be wrong. When I was 19, my friend split up with her boyfriend and he responded by murdering her. And this happens, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, and my God. I know, but it happens, doesn't it? And at that time in my life, I didn't know that the statistics on that, that that happens. Domestic homicide is, and abuse is all over the world. And we tend to turn a blind eye to a lot of it. And my mother's reaction was very much you know, like the explanation I've given too. She said, well, Catherine, if you try to leave them, sometimes they kill you. And I was like, what? And then I think I, for some reason, when something happens in your life at that age, it writes on the canvas of who you are. Your brain is still growing. And I think I decided somewhere sometime that men were very dangerous and I needed to find some of the weirdest ones that I could (laughs) and fix them and calm them And that's what I did. I think I just found some men who now it makes me a little bit angry because I think, how dare they think for a moment that they ever deserved to be around me. They really didn't, but people will treat you the way that you ask to be treated. And I had a lot of self-confidence issues and I subscribed to a lot of the misogyny that I saw in stand-up comedy early on. And I hitched my wagon to a few absolute losers. I really did. And <laughs> narcissistic psychopaths. And I laugh about it now, but I mean, what the heck? And then when I was um a single mother and I was alone, I really felt genuinely inside. I could act really brave, but I felt like damaged goods. I felt like a failure. I felt like a bad person who had made a mistake. I wasn't able to direct my family in the right direction and so I didn't think I was worth anyone good at all so then it got worse and then I didn't date many people and I always kept them at arm's length I knew they weren't good enough for my daughter I think that's what saved me I thought they were good enough for me I could tell they weren't good enough for my daughter and then I slowly weaned myself off those kind of men and then I dated a really nice man called Alex and he's a comedian we're still good friends and he broke the pattern I was like oh my gosh I deserve a really nice man as well and we weren't totally right for each other but it was a lifelong pursuit. Me believing that not only was I deserving of just a really nice man but that I was also okay being alone. I, my plan was just to be alone. I think I had this fear of being alone. And as soon as I solved that, it's ironic, or, you know, they always say it happens this way. As soon as I was truly, truly happy in my own skin, in my own self, in my own life, that's when I accidentally met Bobby K and I married him. I mean, that's so beautiful.
0: I mean, that whole journey, the journey you went on of kind of knowing your worth. And I think that, you know, so comes across in the work you do and asking for more. And I just, I adore the way you do that. I also think, You have such a refreshing, beautiful, sex-positive attitude, which I think really comes through in The Duchess. But where do you think that stems from? Did you always feel comfortable, you know, with your sexuality in that way? Or was it a journey?
3: No, I didn't always feel comfortable. And that is why I really cherish the friendships that I have with you, honey, and with other young women. I think that we should have mentors who are certainly older women who have more wisdom and experience but young women come out with some stuff too that is so fresh and brave and inspirational and progressive and forward thinking and that's where I get a lot of my teachings from as well. I mean, I was super guilty of slut shaming a host of women because <laughs> um I had a boyfriend for a while who was sleeping with many women and had odd variations of relationships that would be used as methods of control and to humiliate me in different ways. And I wasn't sure how to feel about those. And then as soon as I really realized I had enough of being disrespected, I blamed those women a lot and I feel badly about that. And I realize now that, you know, I'm a lot more sex positive. I understand more now about sex work. I understand a lot more about different shapes of relationships but I had to learn that and I had to be receptive and open to being wrong.
2: I think that's a really important journey for many of us isn't it to be open and open to being wrong. I think I think we live in a culture where it's always feels very important to be right all the time and have an opinion on everything all the time um, and Being able to to step back and listen, I think, and then self correct as well, I think, is a really powerful thing, and I I love seeing people in high profile spaces doing that because I think it models that for for young for well not even I was going to say for young people but actually for everyone that that's that's an okay thing to do. You can yeah, and it just takes a little bit of practice.
3: Like I didn't know that it was wrong to say hooker. I just thought, oh that hooker and then it just gently people loved me enough to be like sex worker. And then I go, oh, and they go sex work is work and I'd say, oh yeah. And I it just took being exposed to different lives
0: you are to the core a girl's girl. Like I and I, I know you mentioned that you know at a time you start shaming people or you got things, you know, wrong when you were learning, but I love that someone at your level is a through and through girl's girl who will always
3: uplift you know women and it's so it's so special well i try to but i'm watching the vow and it's really difficult to empathize <laughs> with how these women let themselves get under the thumb of keith keith Ranieri. like these women are the ones bill burr is talking about and i'm really trying to get on board with
2: them but you know, it makes you work a little harder. <laughs> What's, what is that show? Side note.
3: <laughs> I mean, Nadia, it is a sex cult. It's okay. A sex cult. okay.
2: <laughs> but it's you've
3: got to watch it. It's um, I made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to watch more propaganda. I feel like there are so many documentaries on Netflix and everywhere about men oh. murdering women. It's just relentless. And I feel like... Some murderers get more than one special. Like Ted Bundy has more specials on Netflix than I do. And a biopic. I mean, give me a break. I don't like it. And now I'm watching a documentary about a sex cult. Um, It's very interesting. But again, I'm like, how much more of this do I have to? I don't feel like it's good for me. I feel like where I am in my perspective right now, it's bad for my misinjury. I know what you mean. I think there does come a point where you're like, it's self-care not yeah. to watch
0: men who make me feel worse about men. <laughs> I think. I know.
3: <laughs> and if you complain, then men on the internet go, well, Charlize Theron uh, also killed a bunch of men. I'm like, thank you for always your one example. <laughs> I'm like
0: yes, one one female serial killer.
3: We we tried. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, this is really
2: like a, a, a turn that I didn't think that we would <laughs> we would end up on, serial killers.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, it is very much up the street of your uh, podcast, Nadia, because serial killers. It is about control. It is you know what is one of the things that makes it hard to run away from a serial killer? High heeled shoes why is everything designed for us meant to make us unstable? I don't like it. It's all part of the
2: the same string. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, earlier you were saying about kind of bringing it back to comedy and saying that people around you didn't like that you were presenting in a very feminine way, you had your hair done, like, you dressed up nicely and, and things. Is that just misogyny within the comedy industry or is that something else like do you have a sense of what that's about more broadly
3: i'm not sure because i think it's so baked into everything about our culture that women especially are um, evaluated by what they look like Mm -hmm. and in a professional setting there are different rules for us in a stand-up comedy setting there are different rules for us, and I try not to pick it apart too much. Um, it's certainly misogyny to say that your words um, hold less meaning and won't be listened to if you look distracting and the girls in high school who got sent home for the way they dressed well it it was for no reason other than you are distracting the boys and i think it all goes back to the same thing and that is why i just got more and more feminine and glamorous as time went on i mean it's not as though i'm i'm dressing in these little bandeau herve leger dresses right. and 6 inch heels you know i dress yeah. for women but um yeah, I do. Of course, anything to do with
2: managing and controlling our appearance is misogyny. Right. And do you think being a public figure, like has, has that informed how you feel about your body now?
3: I understand that the way that I look will open up certain doors for me. I understand that looking a certain way makes me more appealing to a certain audience. I understand that older people appreciate that I look Mm -hmm. very glamorous they go oh that's interesting and they make assumptions about who I am and what I'm about to say before I've opened my mouth and it creates sort of this mercurial duality where then my comedy actually shocks them more or puts them off balance because they expect something from you when you have a, a certain appearance for sure so I mean, I understand all of that. Luckily, I still don't hate my body or obsess about how I look in certain things. And my weight has fluctuated. I have honestly been pregnant on and off this entire year. And I when my body is pregnant, it gets bigger right away and like holds water. And people have commented, you know, now that I work in the public eye, people do comment now and then. And I mean, that's fine, but this year has certainly also taught me that I don't care so much about what my body looks like. I care about what my body can and cannot perform properly. It was a really big shock to deal with pregnancy loss this year and to be like, oh, wait a minute, I need to start thinking about, can my body heal me properly? Can my body perform these things? functions that I want it to can my body keep me healthy I think that's a theme for a lot of us in a pandemic is that we spent all this time going oh do I look mm-hmm. the right way for Instagram and it's like well you might get cancer right. so right? <laughs> no, it's true you know your body is a vessel and it's we know that it's fine to decorate that and to express yourself with that but it's the only one you've got And it gives you this gift of purpose of being on this earth. And I think that your body is not only a gift, it's a privilege. And I hate that it brings people so much pain and shame and that women's bodies, especially they don't have ownership the way that they should all the time because of all these influences. And luckily, I've definitely learned
2: that and I get better at it all the time thank you for being open. I know honesty and being open is, is something that is very core of who you are and what you do. But I think when, you, when that is part of your USP in a very kind of crude way, it becomes something that um, people then maybe expect or, or don't, maybe don't acknowledge as much. But um, So yeah, just wanted to say thank you for sharing that. No, thank you, of course.
0: Um, I'd love to talk a bit more about you talking about how you dress for women. I was going to say dress for men, which is the opposite of what you do. How you, you know, you say you dress for women and you're very much in control. You have sexual autonomy and all of these things. You, you know, you really have sexual agency and own yourself and own your body. And it's really lovely to see. I don't, please feel free to stop me if this is, you know, overcrossing, but you've talked a bit about having, you know, a couple of like cosmetic tweaks. How did you navigate that Relationship, you know, of get of making those changes to your appearance.
3: Well, I was at a different place in my journey when I was nineteen, twenty years old, and the vibe back then. I mean, it's such a forgotten time. It was such a pure time. Now, when I look back, Britney Spears was doing all right, as far as we knew. We didn't have social media, so that we could make mistakes and they would be forgotten, and it was just a wonderful time. And I loved pop stars and I could see that there was a certain way that a woman could get on in the world and be really well liked. And I wanted to make people happy and I wanted to be well liked. And Jessica Simpson was really popular at the time. She was doing Dukes of Hazard in her little cutoff shorts and she was thin, thin, thin. I mean, she just crash dieted for that. She has been very transparent about all of her journey with weight and her body her body has always been for other people from the time she was a preacher's daughter singing and her breasts were too big and everyone in the church would complain because this little girl grew breasts i mean anyway oh my god yeah and uh she was wearing vests and you know country western gear you could not Uh, try to hide them anymore, but what a terrible way to grow up. And, um, I moved to the big city of Toronto for university and I started working at Hooters just because honestly, I recognized the brand. I thought it would be fun, like being a cheerleader. And I knew that I would work with lots of like-minded women and all those things were correct. I loved working there Mm -hmm. and I had natural AAA cup breasts when I worked there. And I said, well, uh, I think I I just, it became normalized. I saw a lot of girls in the big city who had nose jobs or lip enhancements or breast enlargements. And I thought, well, I'd love to get a breast enlargement so that I don't have to wear a padded bra and I can have shape. uh, But I'll do it after I work at Hooters because I don't want to be a Hooters girl with breast enlargements. And I lasted about a year. And then I got breast enlargements when I was like 20 or 21. (laughs) And I was always really open about that, too. I thought it was cool, first of all. They were really expensive, and I bought them all by myself from waitressing at 20. So, I mean, I would show off a car. That's I, impressive. I know. I was really proud of myself. I was like, yes, all my dreams are coming true. I look more and more like Jessica Simpson every day. And I um didn't go too big, thankfully. I was mindful about still uh, having a normal life. Um, trying to be a size that was manageable and I have had I had those breast implants until 2015 and then they were great and I breastfed for two and a half years and then I had them changed but they're kind of the same size and I've never denied having them people kind of only started to notice in the last few years as I got more confident sometimes I'd wear something really low cut someone somewhere went hang on are your boobs fake I went yeah but I don't think that infringes upon any of my worldview or my feminism or anything else. I just did that. Truthfully, I now, I won't say I wish I hadn't because they really brought me lots of joy and confidence. But, you know, you can't really transplant yourself from a different time and a different culture. In that culture, they were awesome. And I went to the Playboy Mansion and I did lots of fun things and I felt more confident. And I think it really balances the fact that I've always had big hips. Like I, I liked getting breast implants. But now I'm learning about breast implant illness, and I do have a host of autoimmune diseases, so, I mean, I don't know. I might get them out. Oh, no. I mean, because I, I you really <laughs> want me over with them. I mean, not that you never had before, but... I mean... <laughs> well, everything goes in and out of fashion, and that's what you have to be careful with about your body is that your body's not a trend. Mm-hmm. Right. And to just, like, chop it up, for lack of a better term, and, like, have life-threatening the risk is small but all general anesthetic is you know minimally life-threatening to do that you have to really understand the risk that you're taking and what you're doing to your body you're putting a foreign object in your body and your body then needs to take time to heal and i don't know it's a very personal choice and i love it now when i see smaller breasts i think they look great so many outfits look great on them i kind of want them and I definitely don't want to be having autoimmune disease from a silicone implant. So I don't know.
0: I'm always like, imagine if I got like um, the implants that the Cock Destroyer's had. No one would see that <laughs> like coming Gosh. at all. If I just completely pivoted and got these amazing like beach ball breasts, I mean, could be iconic on me. Oh well, yeah. But, you you know.
3: can if you want. I mean, there's nothing to say you can't get them for a summer.
2: That's what's nice is, you know, we have the choice. At a cost. I mean, I don't know what the going rate for breast implants are now but it's it's also expensive right like and I understand it's like it is personal you can like everyone can do what what they want I think it's the the fact that having breast implants is normalized and having and cosmetic surgery in itself is normalized and and that idea Catherine as you said like that your body is a trend I think that's the bigger issue like what everyone chooses individually what they do to their own body living it especially given the culture that we live in and the society that we live in and all the pressures that around us like what people do individually is completely up to them but I think the idea that messages are promoted that you can do whatever you want with your body if you have enough money if you go to the right doctor um, and sometimes those risks aren't presented to to individuals and people I mean, you you sound very very grounded and have sounds like you have always been but people who are more vulnerable who have more deep-rooted concerns cosmetic surgery is not going to fix those concerns um for for many you're people right
3: and you're absolutely right Nadia and the wealth gap totally creates a as with everything, a more dangerous set of circumstances for people who have less money because they are the ones who are, you know, they live in the same culture that everyone else does. They have the same influences. They want the same things and shouldn't be, you know, judged for that. But if you feel like that's something you need to do, then you might go a dangerous route, go to a country where it's not regulated, really hurt yourself. Exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think the effects can be forever if it goes wrong so I think it's just it's, it's yeah something else in that nuanced very complicated very sticky thing about having cosmetic procedures I think yeah that I think the wealth gap is a huge huge part in that conversation for sure. And just for the record I
0: probably won't get um implants for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs>
3: I know, what? I know, it's very shocking. Um, but we, we'll we we'll see, you
0: never know. It's been a weird year. Maybe next year will be weirder and I'll do that. <laughs> I'd love to talk, I mean, a strange segue from um, implants, but I'd love to talk about your lovely daughter, Violet. Obviously nothing crazy, but I'd love to talk about, she's, I mean, one, what an incredible young woman you've raised. I had the pleasure of playing Animal Crossing with her during the lockdown and it was a highlight. <laughs> Um, She's such a smart and wonderful girl. But I would love to know a bit about your kind of take on raising a child out of the spotlight. You know, I think you make it very clear on your social media that you want anything that goes out about her, you know, her to have autonomy of her, you know, images put out about her. But I'd also love to know a bit about the facets you'd love to instill in her, especially around her relationship with herself.
3: I think... Um, and she loves you, by the way. I think every choice I made as a parent was instinctive. I potty trained her by the time she was 10 months. I hadn't read about that. I didn't know that there's a whole movement called uh, movement called elimination communication. Um, I taught her sign language just because... I really was lonely. I didn't have Ah. any friends. So then she could actually talk back to me from the time she was about eight months old. That was great. Yeah, I think I always instinctively moved toward empowerment. I wanted her to know what it felt like to communicate and to be understood. I didn't want anyone changing her nappy only because I don't think I would like that myself. And then I just... uh, kept her off social media when I worked in an office I was doing comedy as a hobby when Violet was born but I certainly wasn't known and it just was instinctive that I thought well I don't own her image so I can't Mm -hmm. ethically share the image of someone that I if I don't own the image it was so simple just like that and I'd seen a lot of my friends kids in very compromising positions, just naked in the bathroom. I just didn't feel great about it. And uh, now Violet really dislikes that choice because she's 11. She really wants to be on social media. She notices that she's absent from social media, whereas a lot of her friends are, are allowed and they're on their parents' social media and everything else. And she's starting to go, well, why am I not? But she gets it. She just, you know what it's like being that age. It's so frustrating with little girls. They want so desperately to be unremarkable. And, you know, these little girls are so remarkable and unique and they just want to be the same and it kills me. But um, I'm going to have to reevaluate it soon enough because I certainly don't want it to go the other way and make her feel like she's Blanket Jackson. You know, no disrespect to Blanket Jackson.
0: I think it's really interesting hearing you say that, though, because it really goes back to your um, presentation on consent of like, not letting, you know, being like, you don't need to kiss your babysitter, you know, yeah. don't make your child yeah. kiss. You. you know, I think it's, you've been consistent for a long time. And I love that.
1: <laughs> but I, no, I think
0: it, it's a beautiful, it's a really lovely choice. I keep on saying beautiful about everything you do, because I think you're a beautiful yeah. person.
3: You're and a beautiful I mean person.
2: That. And you, Nadia, now <laughs> <I love> that <laughs> I know you, you're a beautiful person. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Being inclusive. Um, this has been such. I feel like I'm gonna to have to say beautiful now. It's been such a. It has been such a beautiful conversation. It's been. I think we've we've kind of gone from all corners that I wasn't expecting, but it has been really just a treat to be able to talk to you. And one of the questions that we like to end with on this podcast is how or what do you do to feel at home in your body? What are your like go to Self care type tips.
3: Oh my gosh, that's hard for me because I just have so much self confidence
2: that it's not an issue. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it, but for someone who doesn't, what what would you say? What how? How do you, do you bring you... yourself up?
0: You know, how do yeah. you make yourself feel at home in your body if you've had a hard day? Like we we always like to call it the toolkit. Of what's in your toolkit? Of it gets you back on track. Gets you back to center.
3: Well, I have always said that I'm very lucky because I have lupus and some people are very sick with lupus Um, and I know that the disease can't always be controlled with your mind. So I don't mean to suggest that if you're not able to control lupus with your mind, then you are in any way deficient. But I noticed when I was really sick with it that I was stressed and the more that I felt stressed, my body responds immediately to stress. Um, in such a measurable visceral way, like my antibodies genuinely go up. And so I think since I was diagnosed when I was 25, I have just had to, by force, learn that the most calm that I am, the most happy that I am, then the better my body performs. It sleeps better. It stresses less. I really believe that stress is such a toxin and toxin-inducing Um, chemical in your body. And I feel most at home in my body when I'm relaxed, when I don't apologize or make excuses for not walking enough or not drinking enough water or not sleeping enough, I just have to be relaxed and calm. And whether that means listening to a meditation podcast or just meditating by watching the Kardashians, on the couch and eating a jar of American pickles, which by the way, are very high in sodium. I thought it was just vinegar, sodium. You know, whatever it is that you want your body to perform at, then you have to give it peace and just forgive it and relax and sleep as much as you can. And, you know, drink the juice that you want to drink or go for a walk if you want to lay down and watch TV, if you want do whatever you have to do to be mentally calm.
0: Mm. I love that you give yourself permission. You just give yourself permission to exist. And it's, you know, it's strange because it sounds so simple but it really is quite groundbreaking for a lot of people to be like, oh, I can just be nice to myself. You know, and I think it's, you really, you give off the essence of someone who is really kind to themselves. And that makes me so happy.
3: Well, thank you. And I don't, you know, want to shed too much doom and gloom, but right now in this world, health and contagion is such a theme. And I'm lucky to have had health problems, I really am, because I think I obsess a lot less about what my body looks like and whom it's for. It's not for anybody else, it's for me. And if I listen to what I want and the signs my body's giving me, then that's when I'm at my best. And hopefully my body will continue to function in a way that serves me. Oh, what a gorgeous note to end on. Well, thank, thank you so much for joining us, Catherine.
0: Um, this has been an absolute pleasure and you are the best of the best.
3: I really appreciate it. It's always nice to talk to you, even if it was under the guise of work.
2: Thank you for listening to the Body Protest Podcast.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode. It would mean the world to us if you could subscribe, rate and review.
2: You can follow Honey on Instagram at HoneyKinney and you can follow Nadia at Nadia.cradock. This podcast is edited by the Angel at Project Harness, Davian and Rasheen. And brought to
0: you by the Pink Protest Podcast Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands.